open up the Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 18, and we will pick back up where we left off last week. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Now, if you've been with us and been following along online or, you know, when you've been coming here on the Sundays, you'll know in chapter 8 it's broken up into four parts. So far, we have seen two of those parts. The first part was verses 1 through 8, and it was focused on the fact that there is no condemnation. Paul understood in his walk with the Lord that there is no longer condemnation. Yes, we understand. Yes, it's true that we were all born sinners. We were all born sinners and that through in the fact that we were born sinners, we were all guilty of sin and the penalty of sin and we were on the pathway to hell. But then the Lord gave a way for you and I, if we believe in him, in Christ alone, in, in belief by faith alone, we can be saved from that condemnation. And that because you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, there is no longer condemnation. There is no longer judgment. There is no longer a penalty for the sin that we deserved in our old nature, our old state. That the finished work on the cross by Jesus Christ paid it all. It's a finished work. There's victory and there's nothing you and I can do to earn that victory or earn our way to heaven. There's just a freedom. There's a free gift of salvation by grace alone in Christ alone. And because there is, we've chosen to believe in Jesus Christ, we are no longer guilty before God. There's no longer bondage. There, we have been set free, and there's no longer to receive that punishment that we once knew we were on the trail for. Now, the second part we saw was in verses 9 through 17, and there is not only no condemnation, but there's no obligation for us and for you and I as believers. There's no obligation for us to sin any longer. There's no longer an obligation for us to follow our fleshly desires. Because of the work of the Holy Spirit in us and through us, upon us, around us, he, the Holy Spirit empowers us and enables us for us to be to walk free, that we've been freed. We can walk in that freedom. We can walk in that victory. And that we cannot do it based on our flesh. We've all tried to do it in our own flesh. We've always tried it to lean on our own understanding to do this walk in, as a Christian. But we constantly are falling and falling short because we try to rely upon ourselves or to lean on our own understanding. But we finally, as Paul said, ah, oh, God is empowering me to be able to walk in victory that he's given me. I can just freely breathe in and out and enjoy my relationship with Christ as God empowers me to do this walk and to live in victory and just know that this world that I live in, this flesh that I live in is so temporary because our home is not here, our home is in heaven. And so we can celebrate that. Romans 6, 14 said, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace now. 
oh, such a weight when you live by the laws of do's and don'ts, but live by the grace of God of we get to do and we get to just love him and just be obedient and just follow him wherever he takes us. What a freedom that is. Now today we're going to take verses 18 through 30, the third part, and it's not only no condemnation as a Christian, no obligation to follow the sin of the past, we now have no frustration in our lives as Christians. Yes, we can live a life of no frustration. And we will learn today how and why we are able to do that. Paul encourages us today, highlighting why we do not need to be frustrated in the life that we live while we're on this earth. And Paul is going to be very clear for us on that. Now, for some, we find ourselves getting very irritated and very frustrated with the things that take place in our lives. We can find this daily rut that we find and find ourselves just not being content, and we get very frustrated very irritated. We can find ourselves, even with our own families, our spouse, our kids, becoming very irritated and very frustrated with them in our daily lives. We can actually find ourselves very frustrated with the finance situation we find ourselves in. It just seems like we can never get ahead. We never be, things just seem unstable. We just don't even know where the next meal may come or get out of debt have a desire to do the things for God, but don't have the resources to be able to do them freely with joy. And that can frustrate us. We can be very frustrated and irritated at work. We can find ourselves saying, why don't those people that I work with do what they say they're going to do? Why does it seem like I'm the one that's always having to do the work because no one else seems to be doing it? And we get very frustrated and irritated. Why does the boss constantly changing his mind? Why isn't there better communication going on? And they're talking about you. Can you imagine? We can actually find ourselves being very frustrated and irritated with the physical problems we find ourselves in. Maybe you're constantly dealing with a thorn in your side that you've asked God to remove over and over, but God said, ah, my, my grace is sufficient for you. But we might get irritated and frustrated because we can't do the things physically like we used to do. How about our neighbors? I don't know why my neighbor does that, and I don't think, I don't know why they think I like that kind of music blasting through the wall and uh, decimals higher than I've ever thought before. And you can get really irritated and frustrated with, the neighbors you work with or live next to. And yes, even yes, we can get frustrated and irritated with the church family and the pastors. Yes, it can happen. We can get irritated and very frustrated, but even in the church. But cheer up. We will see today, very clearly, Paul shows that there is hope and there is help for you and I, with our irritation, our frustration. And why he says, we can live a life of no frustration. So we see here, we're going to see seven reasons why there should be no frustration in our lives. 
For those who are taking notes, follow along. The first reason we see why there should be no frustration in our lives is because our future glory. We see it in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed to us. So Paul, after going through chapter 7 of that frustration, oh, why do I obey? Why do I do not do the things I should be doing? I should do the... He was just frustrated. But then when he moved into chapter 8, he would see, oh, it's because I'm trying to do it in my own power. I'm not relying upon the Holy Spirit to do this change and work in my life. And now I get it. God is going to do this work. I can't do anything apart from him. So I'm going to trust in him now. I'm just going to breathe in and out and let God do the work in my life. And I'm just going to follow wherever he tells me to go and however he tells me to do it. And the fact that sufferings can come into your present life. We all experience these frustrations. But Paul says they're not even close to be compared to the glory that is going to be ahead of you in heaven. When you compare yourself, your situation, and your, your, the environment you find yourself today, and you compare yourself with someone else, that can become very frustrating, very irritating, and very discontenting in your life. But when you compare your current situation, as Paul is saying, if you just consider the sufferings you find yourself in presently, think about and compare that to the glory, the home, the place you're going. Compare it to that. And then you will see God will reveal in us how we should see our current and present situation. Paul's analysis of the present suffering and our future glory, they cannot be compared to each other. Paul was not ignorant. He wasn't blind to the sufferings and the things that go on in people's lives. He understands human existence. Suffering is going to be part of that. He experienced more suffering than any or most of any of us today. Did you know that? And he actually summarized it. You probably know the scripture. Go back today. I'll read it today, but go back and look at that. Paul understood suffering. He sees it and he says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 28. And let me take the time to read this because this is amazing what this man has gone through in suffering. And now he here in verse 18 says, based on all that suffering, it's not even comparable to the glory that's ahead of us. He says here, I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. One in a night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often. In perils waters. In perils of robbers. In perils of my own countrymen. In perils of the Gentiles. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea. In perils among false brethren. In weariness and toil. In sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And besides the other things, 
what comes upon me daily? My deep concern for all the churches. Do you see what this God had allowed in this man's life to go through the beatings and the terrible situations of, of near-death experiences, not just once, but multiple, multiple times. And it wasn't because of his foolishness. If you watch Paul's life, it, he didn't find himself in terrible situations of suffering and trials and sufferings because of his foolishness. It's because God used that in and through his life to refine him and then use him as a vessel that's been refined to do a great work for the kingdom of God. So that's why he can come back in verse here, and we see in verse 18 of chapter 8 of Romans, and say, all of those sufferings you're dealing with, just keep in mind of the fact of your future glory. This is just temporary that you're going through. But what I'm talking about, the glory is eternal. It's eternal. So Paul understands you. I may not totally understand all your sufferings. Your spouse may not totally understand your sufferings. But God understands all your sufferings. Because he says the glory which shall be revealed in us, this, this heavenly hope that we must keep our minds focused on. Paul considered the Christian life foolish, even tragic. You can see that in 1 Corinthians 15, 19. Just foolish and tragic, some of the things that go on. But yet, in light of eternity, it is the wisest and best choice anyone can make is to keep their hope and the promise of eternity that he's given you and I as a child of his. And this coming glory will not only be revealed to us, but it will actually be revealed in us. We are going to heaven. Things on this earth are nothing compared to the future glory. Keep the eternal perspective as you take and walk in a daily walk on this earth. It is, it is about there and then, not about here and now. We can get very weighted down when we just think your whole life is about this moment, this feeling, this, this or your past. And that is all, everything dictates your whole life is about past mistakes or past situations and the sufferings, that is not, as a child of God, that is not what defines you. That's not what should drive you. That's what God has used to refine you for his glory and for his purpose into eternity. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So think about the things you found yourself in the past or currently find yourself suffering through. It's, as Paul would say, it is a light affliction compared to what God is going to use that for his glory in you. See, when Christ who is our life, appears. Did you hear that? When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory, Colossians 3, 4. He 
he's going to appear. Oh, he's coming. And he's going to take us home. And we will have no more suffering. There will be no more tears. Yes, you will be given that new body. No more suffering. Now, the second reason why we should not be frustrated in our lives today is we will have deliverance from this body of corruption. And we see that verses 19 through 22. So for the earnest expectations of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in, subjected it in, in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the child of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Now we see in these verses that all creation groans. All creation groans. It waits with anticipation for this coming glory. Paul considered that creation itself is eagerly awaiting the revealing of the sons of God. That's you and I. That all of this was going to be revealed and even creation was going to groan until that time when all of us are revealed or taken home or come back with our Lord and Savior. And because the creation was subjected to fertility, because of man's sin, and will benefit from the ultimate redemption of man. Now remember, when God created the heavens and the earth, it was perfect. It was incredible. The Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve was in, they was just a beautiful, perfect place of creation by God. But it wasn't until sin entered, and because of that sin, because of that, then there was a fall of creation. And from that point on, creation starts becoming unraveled. And so creation groans and it's anticipation of when it will be recreated in the end times. And the fact that that accumulates or comes together, that climax will come together when the sons of God are revealed. Even in 1 John 3, verses 1 and 2 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when, we, when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. So the creation of God is in groaning. We see the challenges of this world coming apart. Call it the climate change. Call it whatever you want. It's coming and falling apart in front of us because of the sin. But we know that in, we see in the scriptures, you go back to Revelation 21, you go back into the scriptures, we know that there's a hope of a promise when we are taken out of this world, we come back with Jesus Christ, when we are revealed, the sons of God are revealed, that there's going to be a new commos, and there's going to be a new heavens and earth that's going to be revealed in the end times. 
it, what glory is it going to be? God is going to reset and put it back to new. And we will not experience the groans that we see in creation today. And when we will be revealed, when Jesus comes back, when we are with him, when we are made like him, how wonderful and glorious that will be. So we don't have to be frustrated by the body of corruption we find ourselves in or the fact that we're in this, on this earth of corruption that's taking place. All of that is going to be made new. We don't have to be frustrated with that. There's a newness ahead. We're going to have new bodies we're going to have a new earth that we will dwell on with our Lord Jesus Christ. And it will be good and it will be right. And only God can subject creation in hope. This is not a work a man's going to do. There's nothing we can do to change this creation, this earth. Only God is going to change that. And only God can do the work, not only in this world, but also he's the only one that can do the work in you and my life. And that's the promised glorious liberty of the children of God he gives us. He shows us and reveals us this hope and this promise of benefits. Not only the children of God themselves, but also of all of creation. But in the meantime, there's going to be groans. There's going to be laborers. There's going to be birth pains. Catch the verses here. It didn't say that there's these birth pains. That doesn't mean there's going to be death. There's going to be new life. You don't tell a woman who is in labor, you've got birth pains. There must be death coming. No, there's going to be life coming. There's life that's, 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 that's causing those birth pains. It's life. creation groans and labors with birth pains together together he brings not things in isolation but he orchestrates it in together by his power and might yes creation is hurting because creation is cursed and we saw that in Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. And when sin came into the world, the ground was cursed, and man had to deal with that curse. Keep in mind, when I know this is hard until you read the scriptures and you read it slowly, but did you realize when sin came in, in the Garden of Eden, did you notice that the woman was cursed? How was the woman cursed? That she had to bear children in pain, right? Birth pains, that was a curse. What was the curse on the man? Didn't curse the man. He cursed the ground that the man would have to work with and work on. Did you notice that? Very interesting how for men and women, how sometimes it can be very painful <laughs> on some of the most basic things that we are to do, and that is to work the land or do work. It's amazing. Second Peter 3, verses 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt away with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works 
that are in it will be burned up. It's a future ahead of us that things will be made fair. Revelations 21, new heaven and new earth is described there. Philippians 3.21, who will transform your lonely body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. He is not only going to change this earth, but he's going to change you and my corrupt body. And even Philippians, as we see that transformation taking place, we don't have to be frustrated with that. We just know that it's what we're going through that God is in control, and we will see that here in these verses to come. Now, the third reason why we should not be frustrated is because of the hope we have, verses 23 through 25. It says, not only that, verse 23, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So not only do we see that creation groans, but we see here in the verses today that we, you and I, groan as well. We groan as believers waiting with perseverance for the coming glory, for our Lord to come back and take us home. To finish that, that work that he has started in us. And in the meantime, we're going to groan. There are times where we don't even know what to think or how to pray or how to act or how to feel because the sufferings and the things that come into our lives are so overwhelming. We just, all we can do is groan. Because there's no words to put it. We find ourselves coming along someone we love and we see the tragedy and the sufferings, the things that they're going through, and we don't even have words, and it's bet we just groan with them. Because there's nothing we don't know how to even put it in words. So not only does the nature groans environmentally around us, but we groan internally. Just as I get older. I find my, my body causes me to groan more and more. Oh, how it used to be to spring right out of bed. But now, I don't have much spring. I get down, I, sometimes it takes me a little while to get back up. And it's just a little bit of groaning to be able to do it. A little snot, snap, crackle, and pop in the knees, and, and some gracious person, usually my daughter, is saying, come on, Dad, get up, old man, get up. Words of encouragement always help. But we are going to be the first fruits of the Spirit, it says here in this verse. We've already tasted some of that glory already, haven't we? What are the first fruits of the fact that we are the sons and daughters of God? What were some of those first fruits that you and I are partaking in, that we, people can see? There's a love that's coming from your life that never used to come from your life. That's first fruits. And all the facets that come with that. You've been set free from your sin. You're no longer in bondage. 
You don't have to live like your old nature used to drive you. You have a new nature. You can live freely with joy and peace. You have all that. That's all first fruits. But think about it. That's just the first fruits. We now wait for anticipation as we groan for us to have our bodies be transformed completely into a new body. That we're going to be in the presence of God for eternity. That will be no more suffering. There's no more going, oh, I wonder what's going to happen. How are we going to live and how we're going to eat and what's about the job? None of that's going to matter any longer. And the Bible tells us. It gives us a godly hope that we can stay focused on because we know we've already experienced the first fruits in our life. And this is great. Wait until we get it all. And how do we know? How do we know there's more than just the first fruits that we've experienced in our life? The Bible says it. I believe it. I'm just waiting in anticipation to get it. Are you? I am. 1 Peter 1.3 says, I have this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I have a living hope. Do you have that same hope? It says right here in our verses, we are eagerly waiting for our adoption. We waiting. We know we've been adopted. The word has gotten out. We know we've been adopted. But when is our parents coming to pick me up from the place? Right? You and I have been adopted. We're in the, ch- the, the, the family of God. When is he coming back for us to take us home? We're just waiting, eagerly waiting for that adoption to be completed. Because we've already been compl- adopted. We saw that in Romans 8.15. But now we just wait for the consummation of that adoption, that redemption of our body. That's the final se- step. They're coming to get us physically and take us home. See, God does not ignore our physical bodies. It's part of his redemption, remember. His plan for these bodies is called to resurrection. And when these corruptible must put on the incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality, 1 Corinthians 15, 53. We are going to be changed physically. Not only does God not ignore our physical bodies, but God's concerned about our physical bodies a here and now. And it's, it's reflected in the passages such as 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Did you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? That God is currently using your body to live within? Do you know that? Do you believe that? Do you experience that? Yes, the Holy Spirit does live within you as a temple. Whom you have from God, you've received, and you are not your own any longer. You have been purchased. You are now, God lives within you. Because we were bought with a price. That way, therefore, we can glorify our God with our bodies and in our spirit. We can glorify now and currently. We can glorify God because he lives within us. Not only do we eagerly wait for our adoption, the scripture here says 
we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. We hope, we wait by faith. We hope not only by faith, but in perseverance. We just keep our focus on you, Lord, and we wait day after day until he, is, he decides to come home, come and take us home. But you have to remember, God is faithful. That, that doesn't change. God is faithful. We can trust him because he is faithful. He is faithful to his word. He is faithful to the promises of the glory for that that has been designated for you and I. Have you read that in the scriptures? Have you embraced that? Have you accepted that? Have you taken that in and owned that for you personally? Because when you find yourself in suffering, when you find this body is causing much havoc for you, when things around you, the creation is falling apart, do you believe the promises of God that he is going to be taking you out of here soon and very soon? And that he's going to make it all new. I hope you do. Because if you don't, you will be frustrated in your life now. You'll live a frustrated life. That's just three reasons why we shouldn't be frustrated. He gives us four more. The fourth one here is we, why we should not be frustrated is we have help from the Holy Spirit, verses 26 to 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Verse 27, now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So not only does creation groan, not only do you and I as believers groan, but we now see that the Holy Spirit groans for you and I. He intercedes for you and I. He is they're helping you and I through this life that we live on a daily basis. And when we are weak is when we become strong. Why? Not because of your abilities, but because the Holy Spirit empowers you to do what he's called you to do. Or to overcome the situation you find yourself in. And through that weakness... We don't even find times where we don't even know how to pray or how to react or how to feel or how to actually come to God. We have so much difficulty coming to God and even talking to him about the suffering that we're going through at that time. But God, oh, remember the words, but God. God himself, the Holy Spirit, comes and he groans for you. He puts on your heart or in your words what to actually pray for. The help of the Holy Spirit brings to express our groans which cannot be uttered, the scripture says here. 
Now, that may manifest itself in the gift of tongues. If God has given you the gift of tongues, it might be expressed that way. We see that in 1 Corinthians 14, 2 and verses 14 and 15. But it doesn't have to be in another um, spiritual language. It could be just in the fact that it's a language that you're trying to express and trying to utter, and you just can't get the words out. And the Holy Spirit comes in, maybe through that gift of tongues, but it may just be in utter groans only, but the Heavenly Father completely understands, even though you and I may not. And the Holy Spirit's help in intercession is always perfect. Why? Because God knows your heart, the scripture says here. He knows the hearts of us. And I. Even though we don't even, our hearts can, are so wicked. We, who is to know it, the scripture says. But God knows your heart. And he intercedes for you and I. He helps us. He searches those hearts of ours. And then he guides our prayers according to the will of God. I don't know what the will of God is in this situation. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why this is, I have to suffer like this. I don't know. I, I have no idea why this should be happening. Guess what? The Holy Spirit comes in and intercedes for you. And he will bring into your mind and into your words the will of God. He intercedes for you and I. Remember that while prayer is to be directed to God, it is not to be directing God. God, you must do this. God, you're going to do this. God, I am. I, God, you do it now. No, no, no. That's not prayer. Our prayers, we communicate with him. God, I have, I'm suffering here. I know there's a purpose and a plan and a will. All this is going to be worked together for good. We, I just know that. Why? Because your scripture tells me so. I may forget to pray, but the spirit never forgets to pray. God will see us through the situation we find ourselves in. Let us not forget to trust him at all times. There are times, I'll tell you, that you find yourself trying to pray, you just can't pray, and you just say, I just can't get the words, I can't even stay focused, I, I'm just overwhelmed. That's where the Holy Spirit comes and helps you. He will intercede for you. He'll help you bring every thought under control, bring every thought under captivity to help you to hear from the voice of God to speak to you the will that he has for you in that situation. So many times when we pray, we think we know the will for someone or for someone else or even for ourselves. God, of course this is your will. I want you to do this. And I, Unless it's been clearly outlined in the scripture, you don't know the will of God many times. You have to trust in God to reveal what his will is. So many times we're saying, I want my will to be done, God. And God says, no, I want my will to be done and from heaven as it is on earth. Or on earth as it is in heaven. Ooh, God had to twist that one around, didn't I? See, God wants to bring his will to, to earth. 
so many times we find ourselves wanting our will on earth to be the heaven to change and line up with what we want. But that's not how it works, brothers and sisters. So that's why we need the Holy Spirit to help us. Yes, I do my part by coming to him. Looking to him for his will to be done in this situation. And because the Father knows best, I can sit and rest. The Holy Spirit groans through me. The Son intercedes for me. And the Father will do what's right concerning me. Chuck Smith, I always loved what he used to always say. Oh, how so important it is that we talk less and groan more. It's so true. Now, the fifth reason why we should not be frustrated in our lives today is that, is that God is in control. Verse 28, this is probably one of the most quoted passages and things that we hold on to. It says here in verse 28, and we know, get you, get you underline we know, that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. So key things in this verse you need to highlight. We know, as children of God, we know all things work together for good. It's not, I hope so. It's not, I guess so. I'm not sure. I, I guess maybe. No. The scriptures as believers, we know, without a shadow of a doubt, we know all things work together for good to those who are non-believers? No. That promise is only for those who love God. Biblical love God. There's some love that's not godly love. Don't get me wrong. And some people can love false gods. But if you have a true love for the true living God of the Bible, that promise is for you and I. That as bad as the situation you find yourself in, and you reflect back now on all the horrible things that you thought you would never have to go through, just remember two things. We know that God is working together all things. Every situation is not isolated. It is working together. I always paint the picture in my mind as pieces of puzzle. Yes, there are pieces of moments, of times, of situations that's taking place in your life. But if you know that God is in control that all of those pieces go to one puzzle of your life. So many times we look at this piece of puzzle, this situation in life, and say, I know that it goes right here. And you'll spend so much time twisting that piece of puzzle every which way, and even trying to force it, knowing when you really stop and look at it, it doesn't fit there. That's not where it's supposed to go in your life. Finally, you get frustrated, and you set the piece aside, do you know? And you pick up another piece because you think, oh, now I know where that piece goes. But as God takes those pieces and orchestrates your life together, it will come out as one puzzle, one, one picture 
of your life. And that one situation you thought was so horrifying, how could God ever use that? He takes that and all of a sudden becomes the centerpiece of completion of your puzzle. But do you believe that? That God is in control, that he's sovereign, and that he takes nothing in your life and nothing is wasted. Do you believe that he's going to use everything in your life for his purpose and for yours? Believe it? Because we see in the scripture, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, to his will. See, that is the beauty. God, I just, whatever this situation is, I know it's part of your will. Help me to understand. Lead me according to your way. I'm just going to follow you. Because it's all going to work out for good. Regardless of how you feel, keep showing up, my brothers and sisters, because it's going to work out. It's going to be good. Just keep showing up. Why? Because it's for our good and his glory. of those who love God is a biblical foundation that we can stand on. And it's by the Holy Spirit doing that work and revealing himself through us and remembering that God is on the throne and he is in control. And that all things are father filtered. Nothing as a child of God, nothing touches your life until it's been father filtered first. And this brings the rest and the peace in our lives and frustration just melts away. Now, the sixth reason why we should not be frustrated is that we are predestined, verses 19, or 29 and 30. For whom, we for, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Did you know that God knows all things? That he foreknows everything? There's nothing that he is sitting up in heaven going, oh my gosh, I didn't know that was going to happen. I can't believe that just happened. How did I miss that? Was he busy with the angels? What? No. He foreknew everything. And that we see here in these scriptures, this eternal chain of God's working is seen in the connection between foreknew, predestined, called, justified, glorified. He didn't just start this work that Paul is describing in the Roman, uh, the, those who are living in Rome at this point in time as some, some random, how this all works, I don't know, we'll figure it out as we go kind of a moment. It started with God foreknew. Paul is saying that God is the author of our salvation and that it is from the beginning to end he is in control. We are not to think that God can take action only when he graciously give him permission, 
but he also gave us the free will to be able in that relationship. So he didn't create robots. He created humans to interact freely to love him or not to love him. And the fact that he foreknew when he was going to create you, if you were going to choose to love him and follow him or choose to not to love him and not to follow him, he foreknew that. But he still gave you that freedom of choice. Because he had a purpose after he created you is to conform you into his son's image. The image of his son, that was his goal, is to do a work in you and I's life. But he wanted to do that in his free love, a free expression of our love of choosing or not. The Spirit intercedes for us. It guides us as we pray. The circumstances of life work for our good and for his glory, no matter how painful they may be. Ephesians 1.11 says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So when God knew that we were going to choose him, he then predestined, decided, determined according to his will that he said, okay, they're going to choose me. Now I'm going to predestine. We are going to then do this work. I'm going to call them to do a work, and I'm going to then justify them or make them, uh, made them holy, and we're going to um, glorify them. There's going to be an end state that we're going to take them in, and then I'm going to bring them home to me, and then they're going to reign with me for into eternity. A grand and wonderful plan. For those who choose him. Because God is sovereign. God knew ahead of time if we would choose or reject him based on his foreknowledge. That's why even in the Old Testament, he's, you see him in Joshua 24, 15. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Who do you choose to serve? Yourselves? Deuteronomy 30, verse 19 says, Therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Throughout the beginning of time, he has chosen to give us the free will. He decided to give us free will so that you could freely choose to follow him or not, to be obedient or not. He gave that to Adam and Eve. And then we see the seventh reason why we should not be frustrated. Because we are glorified. Once we are forgiven, made righteous, justified, made holy, sanctified, he also glorified us. And we know that because we studied that in the previous chapters, the fact that based on our position in Christ now as a child of God, we are already glorified. He sees us already in that end state. He already sees us what he's already done in our lives. But even though we're now justified, know that we've sanctified and we're glorified, we know where we're going to be and what we are going to be. He says practically we understand that still we're in this body of sin and one day we will have a new body. We don't have to be frustrated with this any longer. 
that we will be in that glorified body. That's the end state. That's the last step for you and I. And that's why we are to focus not on the now and here, but on the there and then. Because we are heavenly bound. Our home is in heaven. This is just a vacation gone bad, and I can't wait to get home. I can't wait. But I have to patiently persevere because he determines when I get home. He determines a specific date and time and how. And it's going to be perfect because he's perfect regardless of how I feel and there is a purpose and a plan for me to stay on this earth and for you to stay on this earth to reach the lost and encourage those brothers and sisters in the faith that's it and however he wants to do that however he's called you to do that just be faithful until he returns and he'll give you the strength and ability to do it. Why? Because he did it all for our good in his glory. Amen? Father, we thank you. We do praise you for these encouraging words today. That as we live in this body of ours and live in this world that's just falling apart, we don't have to be frustrated. We don't have to be irritated. We don't have to be so swallowed up with anger or anything else because you are in control you are going to take care of this earth you're going to take care of this corrupt body that we have you're going to show us that we are heavenly bound and that you are helping us every step of the day in every way until you come and take us home so that we can just breathe and just enjoy and with gladness and joy of heart of of just worship you, you, you and just enjoy every day that you've given us. And, and Lord, as you have allowed certain things, Heavenly Father, into our lives that are going to be for our good and for your glory. Even how terrible that situation we find ourselves in, it will be for our good and for your glory. And that these pieces of situations of puzzles of life are going to come together. And as we grow and mature and time comes by, we're going to see how you're using that in our lives and the lives of other people. Oh, how we want to just stay, keep our eyes upon you, worshiping you, just loving you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We just freely just give our lives to you as our master, our Lord, our Savior. Oh, we hold on to that eternal hope. That eternal help you've given us. And may we get our eyes off the situation and put them on to you, knowing that you're using it to work things out in our lives for our good bring glory to you and you alone. We thank you and we praise you as children of yours. In your precious name, Lord Jesus, we pray.
Amen. Amen.